So last week we talked about the walls of Jericho. And really one of the things we took out of this story, um, out of this uh, story time that we were doing, was how close to the biblical version the kids version is. Because there wasn't a whole lot of like, we talked about how there wasn't really a lot of graphic content in the story of Wall and Jericho uh, in the Bible. Like it, it did talk about them conquering the land, but there wasn't a whole lot of like extra, extra gruesome facts that the kid's story leaves out. Today's story, on the other hand, is quite the opposite. Um, this story is like, I think the kid's version of the story is like literally the most like minor details of this story to like convey the story. Like it doesn't tell even remotely the whole story. And if you actually read this story in the book of Judges, <coughs> it's like three chapters long. It's like a really long story. It goes from Judges 13 to Judges 16. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, you can. It's in Judges 13 to Judges 16. Um, and we are going to actually try our best to run through this whole story tonight and talk about how it applies to us. So, this story, when told to us as kids, made it sound almost like a cute little story about this guy who had really long hair that made him strong, like the hair had some sort of mystical, magical properties, and he fell in love with this lady who convinced him to tell her that his secret to strength was his hair, so she cut his hair, and then he wasn't strong, and that was basically like the whole story. Okay. So yes, for the most part, that kind of does happen. But we have to go back to the beginning to understand the reasoning why this stuff happened the way that it did. So we've discussed how the Israelites have this up and down relationship with God while they're traveling in the wilderness. About how they would like be good with God one minute and then the next minute they'd be like, uh, oh, we're going to like make golden calves and worship other gods and stuff like that. And then God would be like, no, bad. And then he'd be like, you're stuck in the wilderness longer. And they'd be like, but God, we love you. And then they would like love God again. And then they would stop loving God and make idols again. And he'd be like, more wilderness time. And we, okay, we, we get that that was going on, okay? So prior to the story, the first verses of chapter 13 say that the Israelites were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, meaning they were living sinful lives, okay? We've already talked about how living these sinful lives kept leading the Israelites into bad situations. Well, in this situation, it has led them into the hands of the Philistines. Now, we know the Philistines. These are the people who Goliath was one of them, okay, later. But we know the Philistines were like the arch rivals of the Israelites. And so, for them to be led into the hands of the Philistines was not a good situation, okay? And God tells them that he has a plan to deliver his people out of the hands of the Philistines. And so God comes down to a couple who were unable to have children, and he tells them, you're going to have a child, and I want for him to be a Nazarite. And we know that Nazarites weren't like a 
weren't like an ethnicity or a group of people. They were just people who were devoted to God. Okay? These were people who made a special vow either from birth or from a young age to follow God and to be separated as like holy and ordained by God. And there were a few different things that they had to do. They really boiled down to three things they really needed to do. They needed to stay away from grapes. Okay? Don't go, don't look into that. They had to stay away from grapes. It said, not just don't drink wine, but don't drink anything of the vine. Don't mess with grapes. Just stay away from grapes. Okay? Basically. I don't know. Second thing was not to cut your hair. Okay? And this is where the whole hair giving him strength comes from is because his hair was a sign of his vow to God. And his hair was what showed that he was still in relationship and connection with God and made a vow to God so that God was able to work through him, okay? And then the last one (coughs) is that they were not, they were to steer clear of dead things, okay? So like they weren't allowed to bury anything, like even their family members or anything like that. They couldn't be associated with the, the death. They couldn't be associated with really the funeral uh, they couldn't do any sort of sacrifices or anything. They had to have other people do those for them. They were to stay away from death, okay? So, no grapes, no cutting hair, and no death. Those are really the three things that a Nazarite was required of. So, we have Samson, who God commands his parents to make him a Nazarite from birth. And he's created and selected by God to free his people from the hands of the Philistines. And it leads him down a path that you would think like God has designed this path for him and he just needs to walk down it. And I think what we realize is just like with all of us, God has made a path for us for us to walk down but we get to choose and it's it's what decisions we make and the the things that we decide to do that determines how well we stay on this path that God has given us and so we see Samson here who God has laid this very clear path for him he is going to be this great leader who is going to be mighty and he's going to be able to lead God's people out of the hands of the Philistines but we know that anytime we are trying to follow God's path, the enemy, Satan, is trying to lead us off the path. <clears throat> like literally that's all his mission in life and existence is, is to lead us off the path that God has intended for us. And the way he does this is through tempting us to stray from the path. And here's the thing that we have to understand about Satan. We have to understand that he knows every area of our life where we are vulnerable. Like he knows what our weaknesses are. And he uses them against us. He knows the buttons to push to get us to take that step off of the path that God has laid for us and to doing things that are not what God has called us to do. So, as we look through this story, 
we see a few things that Samson is tempted by or some of the struggles, the vulnerabilities that Samson has. <coughs> we already know three of them, right? We know the three things he can't have are things he's vulnerable. Like if you told me I couldn't have grapes and I saw everyone sitting around eating grapes being like, oh my gosh, these are the most delicious little like pellets of fruit ever. I would want grapes. Or if I saw everyone sitting around drinking wine, having a good time, I would be like, dang, I really wish that I could partake of that. Okay, so we already know one is grapes. I don't really know how appealing messing with dead stuff is, but we see exactly how he's tempted by that later. But that's clearly a vulnerability. And we know that his hair is something that he's vulnerable about. But we see two more things. And we'll really get to look at these a little bit more. And we have plenty of evidence that these two things were areas of vulnerability for Samson. One was an area of lust, let's just say. An area of being drawn to women. Okay? Because we see multiple times throughout the story that he, that he is tempted by or gets involved with a woman that leads him down a wrong path. <clears throat> so the last thing, and we'll see this actually a little bit later, is I think Samson also deals with a little bit of anger. I mean... You don't just wipe out a whole army with your bare hands because you're a nice guy. Okay, just going to say, I think Samson dealt with a little bit of anger in some situations. <clears throat> so let's go back to the beginning of the story and we'll see how all these things kind of factor into what Samson's path ended up being. So Samson being a good Israelite man, and especially being a Nazarite, probably should have been drawn to, committed to, desiring to marry another Israelite woman. Now, we obviously know that they didn't always marry within the Israelite tribe. When we looked at the women of Christmas, we kept looking about how all these guys kept marrying Canaanite women. Okay, So we know that marrying outside of, of the Israelite tribe was not an unheard of thing. But for someone like Samson, who was a Nazarite committed to serving God, it would have made more sense for him to marry an Israelite. However... <coughs> Sorry, guys. We're making it happen today. He sees this woman who's a Philistine. And he strongly desires her. And he goes and he tells his parents, I want to take this woman as my wife. And they even say, look, shouldn't you marry a Philistine? He's like, no, I want this woman and I want her now. And they're like, okay, okay, let's go see what we can do. Well, it turns out this woman lives in a region that's filled with vineyards. And if you know anything about vineyards, they're full of grapes. And so it's just kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting picture that we see the fact that Samson is tempted by this woman <clears throat> and it should have been a sign to him that... She lived in a place that was literally full of grapes. That he probably needed to stay away from this situation. And so, we actually see that one day he's traveling to go meet her. 
to try to make her his wife. And he's walking through a vineyard. Okay? So literally he's walking through a field of temptation. And he comes across a lion. Now, I don't fully understand what a lion was doing in a vineyard. But I think we know, like we can look at, like we can look at Scripture. 1 Peter 5.8 talks about Satan being a lion who seeks to devour. I think the lion represents temptation. It literally represents Satan in this situation. And <clears throat> Samson fights this lion, which craziness, right? And it says he tears the lion. Now, I don't know if that means he like grabbed his upper lip and his bottom lip and like tore him in half. I don't know what tearing a lion means, but he kills this lion. Okay, that's all we need to know. And what's interesting is, as he's walking back through the vineyard later, he finds the body of this dead lion. Again, the representation of his temptation in this death. And he sees that there is a, a swarm of bees that have made a honeycomb inside this lion's dead body. Yeah, yeah I know. Super tempting, right? Apparently it was for Samson because he reached right in and got a handful of honey and started munching away on it. I'm sitting here like I'm a picky eater. But I would have been like. Heck no, okay? Like, I would have been like, we are not going anywhere near the honey inside this rotting lion, okay? Like, that would have been the thing I would have been staying away from. <coughs> but anyway, so we've already seen Samson be tempted by two of his main areas, three of his main areas, really. Women, grapes, and dead lions, apparently, okay? Like, don't, don't, don't question it, okay? It's just what it is. But... This is where the story really starts to take shape because Samson ends up being allowed to take this woman as his wife. And he is sitting in a feast where he is being basically assigned or given this woman as his wife. And he decides in the spirit of our riddles for our story time, he decides to give all the men of this women's family a riddle to try to solve. And he says, I'll give you a riddle. And if you can solve it, I'll give you 30 men's worth of clothes. Why that was the bounty? Again, I have no idea. I would not be trying to solve a riddle for a bunch of shirts. But apparently they were super excited about that. So, <clears throat> so he says, "What's he? I, you can go find the riddle. I should have written it down. But like, he basically says, what's, sweet, what's the sweetest thing? Inside the strongest thing. And they're like, oh my gosh, so they're never going to figure this out. So they get the, the woman to like tempt him and be like, hey, find out what the riddle is so that we can win. And so she like, she like keeps pestering him about it. Like, hey, tell me, you won't love me if you won't tell me. So he's finally like, oh my gosh, I'll just tell you, stop nagging me. Okay. And he tells her that the riddle, the answer to the riddle is honey inside a dead lion. Okay, I don't know what his obsession is with that. This must have been like the best honey he's ever tasted. But he was clearly fixated on this honey inside this dead lion. Okay, and so that was the sol the solution to the riddle. So the the lady he was taking his wife goes back and tells her family the answer. 
And so when they get it right, Samson gets mad at her, right? Because he knows that she told them. And so out of his anger, he goes out and apparently he kills 30 men and takes their clothes and gives it to them as the prize, okay? Samson was a weird dude, okay? We're not, we're not going to sit here and try to justify Samson, okay? But <clears throat> he goes out, he does this. And I guess in this moment, he was very clearly aggravated with this woman to be his wife. And so while he's gone, they assign her another man to be married to. And so when Samson comes back, this woman that he had been lusting after is now married to one of, it says a friend. I don't know if it's Samson's friend or her friend or a friend of the family or what, but this woman that he's been lusting after that he thought he was going to get to marry has now been assigned or married to a friend. Oh, man. Samson goes off the rails, okay? We know that he has this this desire to avenge himself. We've already seen this. And he has, I'm telling you right now, the most unorthodox ways to avenge being wronged that I have ever read in the Bible. So, if you don't believe me, you can look this up, but I'll tell you the two ways that he gets back at the Philistines for this issue. The first one, he gathers up a bunch of foxes, not women that look attractive, actual foxes, okay? He gets a bunch of foxes, and it doesn't stop there. He ties their tails together, two by two, okay? I'm sitting here thinking... If I was trying to tie a fox's tail together, like how angry this fox would be, okay? But he literally ties their tails together. He ties them in groups of two and he lights their tails on fire. This guy is seriously messed up in the head. <laughs> okay? He lights their tails on fire. So he's got two foxes that are tied together and on fire. And he sets them in their fields of wheat, the Philistines' fields of wheat, to run amok and burn down, burn down all their crops. Literally, I could have think of a million different ways he could have done that better. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know if you guys remember this, but like whenever I was your age, this was a big deal. But you know how you have browsers like on your internet? There's one called Firefox that's literally a little fire and it's or a fox and its tail is fire. And now I have to think that, that that is some way related to this story. It has to be. But anyway, so the Philistines are now furious with Samson. So this is beginning to escalate. And the Philistines march onto the Israelite camp and they're like, give us Samson now. And the Israelites are like, uh, okay, you outnumber us. We will do whatever you want. So they go into Samson and they're like, hey, they're like, they're coming for you and we don't want them to kill us. So we're going to go ahead and give you to them. And Samson's like, cool, just don't kill me. Okay. We have already established Samson is not the most sane human on the planet. 
But if an entire army came looking at me and my own army turned to me and said, hey, we're giving you up to protect ourselves, I'd be like, you cowards, fight for me. Okay? But Samson's like, sweet, go ahead, put me in. What What does Samson do? So he lets him tie him up. He lets his own men tie him up and lead him out to the Philistine army. When he gets out there, he breaks free from the rope. He finds the nearest donkey jaw. Okay, like... <laughs> he may have because it said it was fresh. So I don't... He just finds a fresh donkey jawbone, And he slays a thousand men with it. Okay. Yeah, don't know. Okay. This story is seriously wild. Okay. And so now we've got the Philistines who are just beside themselves at how much they hate this guy. And he thinks he is the greatest thing to ever happen because he's basically Rambo with bones. Okay. Like he just kills everyone in his path. And so now this story. So now this story is a massive conflict between not the Israelites and the Philistines, not between God and something else. This is just a conflict, a personal conflict between Samson and the Philistine nation. Okay? One man versus an entire nation, and Samson's winning. Okay? That's where we're at right now. So, what do the Philistines do? They know his weakness. And what is one of his weaknesses? Women. Maybe he's really attracted to their hair. I don't know. But we know that he is very, like he has this lust after women. That he has a history of this. And so they find that Samson has come into their city. Again, why he's in their city. Man, this man has a destined to die. Okay. He goes into their city and he finds a prostitute that he chooses to spend the night with. And so the Philistines are like, we've got him. He fell for our trap. He's in there. Let's close the city gates. We'll trap him in here. He won't be able to leave. And when he comes out of her house, we'll jump him and and we'll get him. There was only one problem. They forgot that Samson... Can literally kill all of them with anything that he finds laying around. So, Samson comes out of the house. They jump him. And not only does he probably win the fight, he goes up to the city gates, which are not small, by the way, and he breaks them off the hinges and throws the city gates and escapes. Okay? <clears throat> so, I think at this point, At this point, the Philistines realized they are not going to win this battle with Samson if he has his strength. I think, I genuinely think this is where the Philistines landed. If Samson has his strength, we cannot win. And so they realize that what they need to do is they have to take away his strength. But they don't know how. So they go to this woman, this, uh, I'm guessing this attractive woman named Delilah. And they say, we will pay you a lot of silver 
if you will tempt him, become close to him in an effort to get him to tell you what his strength is so that we can take care of him. So, we see him come to this point (coughs) where he continually puts himself in harm's way. He continually does whatever he wants, whatever self-gratifying. He doesn't, at this point, he's not even honoring his commitment to God. He's literally just doing whatever he wants, getting himself into trouble, and he enters into this relationship with Delilah. (laughs) And we see her saying, if you really love me, we should have played that game tonight. If you love me, then you'll smile. Okay, anyway. So, he, she, Delilah says to him, if you love me, you'll tell me what the source of your strength is. And Samson, apparently feeling clever, says, well, if you wet some bowstrings, some fresh bowstrings, and tie me up with bowstrings that are fresh and wet... It zaps my power. And so Delilah's like, hmm, here, lay down and get comfortable. And when he falls asleep, she binds him with wet bowstrings. And then she wakes him up and goes, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he goes, ka-chow, and breaks from the bowstrings. And she's like, Samson, you told me that would stop you. Okay? And... Hang on. It gets better. Apparently. Okay. Hang on. So she goes, Samson, you said that the fresh bowstrings were the trick, and you lied to me, Samson. Tell me the truth. What is your weakness? And he goes, you know what? I'm sorry I made you look like a fool. If you make new freshly braided rope, new rope will zap my power. So she goes, oh, thank you, Samson. Lay back down and get comfortable. And he lays down. Like, what an idiot. Okay? (laughs) And he falls asleep. She binds him with new rope, freshly braided rope. And then she goes, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are coming. And he goes, whammy. And she goes, Samson. You lied to me again. You lied to me again, Samson. This is twice. Now you need to tell me the truth, Samson. What is your weakness? And he goes, I'm sorry. The truth is, if you pin my hair up with a loom, it'll zap my weakness. And we see here what's interesting, and I'm going to pause here for just a second, is that he's getting closer to the truth. Do we see that? It's not just like he's like, oh, bowstrings, rope, pinned hair, and then the truth. He's progressively getting more comfortable with the situation and progressively trending closer to danger. And so she pins up his hair and she's like, 
Nighty night, Samson. And he's like, sweet, I'll go back to sleep because clearly this has been going so well for me. And she goes, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he goes, boom, baby. (laughs) And busts out the hair and he's super strong again. She's like, Samson, that is enough. I am tired of your games. You tell me the truth right now. And I want to point to what is now my new favorite passage in the scripture. Judges 16, 16. <clears throat> it says, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Okay. So this is a biblical principle. Okay. We need to all understand that nagging is a biblical principle. And women, this is how you break your man, okay? You nag him to death, apparently. Okay? So let's, let's read what happens here. Judges 16, starting in verse 18. says, when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she, he finally told her. It says he, that she nagged him to death. So he said, if you cut my hair, I'll lose my power. When Delilah saw that he had truly told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver, that was the silver as her payment, in their hands, having put him to sleep on her lap. Again, what an idiot. Beside the point. (laughs) Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to come and shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so she began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to, to grinding in the prison, but the hair on his head began to grow back after it had been shaved. So I want to look at a couple things here. <clears throat> okay. We've had fun looking at this story, okay? It's kind of a it's kind of a funny story to see how big of an idiot Samson truly is. But let's look at a couple things real quick. I really want to dive into. So everyone lock in here. There's two things that stand out to me in this passage. One, it says that he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Now, I keep my hair pretty short. But if I hadn't ever cut my hair in my life, okay, God keeps my hair short. Let's get off it, okay? If I had my hair cut for the first time in my life, I feel like I would notice. So that tells me right now that Samson didn't necessarily fully understand the gravity of his commitment. That he didn't understand that the fact that his hair wasn't cut was not just a way for him to gain strength. But it wasn't some sort of power relic that it was a commitment to God and that his power was coming through God. But the other thing is, I wonder how it's possible that someone who constantly channeled the power of God through them was unaware to know that God had left him. Now we understand from a biblical theological perspective 
that, that we have the reassurance of salvation and we know that once we experience salvation truly, that the Holy Spirit can never leave us. <clears throat> However, God's power and God choosing to use us in the path that he had originally intended us for, that can leave us if we stray too far off of it. Do we understand that? Like, and, and here's the scary thing. I've heard pastors say this before. They say, if God were to, not that, not that he can, but if God were to remove the Holy Spirit from you tomorrow, would you be able to notice? Like, does the Holy Spirit that lives inside of every believer that should play a vital role in the way that we live our life, the way we discern good from evil, the way that we dis- discern God's word from the world's word, the way that we live our life, do we use it regularly enough that if it were removed from us that we would recognize that it was gone? And I think this is the situation Samson was in that he just so naturally used God's power that he had forgotten what it felt like to truly use God's power. And so he didn't realize that God's power had left him in this situation. The second thing is this last line. It says, the hair that had been cut off his head began to grow back. And I ask myself, why is this line in the Bible? We all know how hair works, right? You cut hair, it grows back. You cut hair, it grows back. So, He cuts his hair. Why do we need to be told that it's growing back? Why is this line in the Bible? And and I mean, I think, I think that this is showing us God's willingness to use us despite our mistakes and failures. Because God in this situation, like I feel like at this point in the story, God should have said, Samson, you messed up bad. You messed up real bad. I think I'll use someone else for what I had originally intended to use you for. But instead of doing that, which God had every right to do that, right? Samson totally abandoned God's plan. But instead of doing that, God looked at Samson and he said, you're still in my plans. I desire to use you what I designed to use you for. And so we see this line to say his hair began to grow back because we're going to see how this comes into play in just a second. (coughs) But I don't know about you guys. Maybe you're in this place tonight where you feel like God has left you and you feel like you're useless to God. You feel like you've strayed so far from the path that God is no longer wanting to use you, that he has turned his back and he has said, man, you have messed up so bad, I'm going to use someone else. And I want to tell you right now that that is not the case because the God that I know, the God that I read about in this story, the God that I see throughout scripture turns to us and says, you are still in my plans and I desire to use you for my intended purposes. 
And I'm sure, like all of us who have strayed from God, we, Samson was desperate for an opportunity to make things right. He was desperate for an opportunity to fulfill this call from God. Like I'm sure when he was sitting in that cell, his eyes gouged out, chained up, grinding away, he, all he could do was think about how he had let God down. And he probably was just wishing and willing for the opportunity to be able to make what he had messed up right. Well, we see in this story, thanks to Philistine pride, he gets that opportunity. (coughs) The Philistines, to celebrate the fact that they have captured Samson, they decide to throw a party in their temple and make sacrifices and worship their false god. And they decide to bring in Samson for entertainment. They're going to make this chained, eyeless guy entertain them. And we see what happens here in Judges 17. Or I'm sorry, Judges 16. It says, Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just one more time and let me get one blow of revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson Samson reached towards the two center pillars on which the temple stood, Bracing him his, himself against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. And we already know that Samson killed a bunch of people while he was alive, but he killed more in his death in that dying act than he did when he was alive. And it was because he, God had a plan. For Samson. And everyone probably thought that Samson leading the Israelites out of the Philistine bondage was going to be like Samson conquering, killing, and being like, yes, I win. No one saw it being that he was going to destroy them from the inside. But that was God's plan. And I hope we can all learn from this story that temptation and sin are not something that we need to mess around with. Like, it's one thing to look at them and be like, hey, I like, you know, this feels good. I like this, whatever. But we can't allow this to be something that gets deep inside of us because this path of sin that Samson put himself on ultimately led to his destruction with the Philistines. And I wonder how many of us today are sitting in here Thinking that we're walking on the path that God has intended, but in reality, we're on our own little path right adjacent to it, to where we're kind of walking on God's path, but in reality, we're also walking on our own path. Like what we want and what's comfortable for us and what we like, we're on that path, but also trying to like keep one foot on God's path, like we're doing this kind of thing. And you better believe that at some point, God's plan is going to come true. His plan is going to, that those paths are going to meet. Just like Samson was going on his own path, and those paths collided at the end where he was able to fulfill what God had planned, but it was not in the way that he had expected. (coughs) 
You better believe that whatever path you're traveling on and God's path are going to come together at some point. And I just hope for every one of you in here that when those paths meet, that you have been following the path that God has tried to place you on, the path that God has laid for you, the path that God has custom designed for you. Otherwise, the collision that those paths make could be devastating. I think we can look at the story of Samson and we can get a lot of like comical aspect out of it. Like it is kind of a, a, a funny story, I guess, in a way. But it's more of a cautionary tale than anything. Samson was gifted the world. He was God's chosen person to deliver his people. But instead, Samson chose to live his own life, to do the things that he liked, the things that made him feel good, the things that he wanted, that he desired. He succumbed to temptation constantly throughout his life. It didn't disqualify him for being used by God, but it sure made the way that God used him a lot, a lot worse. So take this story as a cautionary tale. God's going to use you. We know that. God's got a plan for all of you. He's going to use you for his purpose. It's just a matter of whether or not you're going to be a willing participant or simply a cautionary tale yourself. So look at this. Find the areas of your life where Satan is trying to pull you off of God's path. Find those areas. Understand them. Know what your weaknesses are. Know what you're tempted by. And find ways to safeguard yourself from them. Don't go walking through vineyards. Like that sounds funny. But in reality, if you are tempted by something, don't just go walking through it. You have to be better than that. You have to understand where Satan is trying to pull you away from God and steer clear of that so that you can be the person who serves God in the way that he is called and designed for you to serve him. So that's the story, the cautionary tale of Samson. If you want to read the whole story, like I told you, it's in Judges 13 through 16. There's some other gruesome details, other different things in there. Like if you read the whole story, it's, it's a little even crazier than what I just said. But make sure you're living your life on God's path, not just adjacent to it. Let me pray for you guys and we'll get out of here tonight. <coughs> God, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the story of Samson, that we can look at it and that we can see the areas of our life where we mirror Samson, where we do the things we're not supposed to do, even though you've called us to this higher calling, this higher purpose, God, that we, we step away from you and we choose to do our own thing. God, and I just pray that you would just show us that in our own lives, that you will reveal those things to us, and that you would help us to stay on the path that you have designed for us, stay on the path that you have called us to. God, we love you. We thank you for the fact that you choose to use us 
even though we mess up, even though we fail you, that you continue to come back to us and use us for your purposes, God. And I pray that you would just continue to use us. Show us the plan that you have for our life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.